beautiful style. So inspiring. Who, who, anyone seen, seen that before? Anyone seen that? Just a couple of us. That is so inspiring. And uh, what an incredible man. There's, of course, so much homework was put into that run. Uh, it was very much supported and sponsored by Nike. But what an incredible human achievement. And of course, somebody like that could not do it on his own. He had those supporters around him, as I said, those uh, people. In fact, the, 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 the white man on the left-hand side, uh, he's from Australia. In fact, he ran the Launceston 10 just a couple of years ago and won it. And, uh, and so there's a few Australians gathered in there, and they just could not keep up with him. I mean, it's just an incredible, incredible human feat. So uh, it's pretty exciting. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. Thanks for this opportunity uh, to open your word. And uh, we pray that our ears would be just so open to hear, our, our eyes to, to be open to see you and our hearts to ready to respond in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Uh, the reason I share that with you tonight is because the, uh, the Apostle Paul uh, shared with Timothy um, to, uh, that I, f- uh, I finished the race, I've uh, fought the fight, I finished the race and I've kept the faith. And so just hang in with me there in regards to this just for a moment. But can I ask you a question? Have you ever had one of those people in your life, whether it's being a, a mentor, a friend, a relative, a, a teacher, or even a boss, where somebody calls out the best in your life. Um, maybe someone who saw something in you that maybe you were blind to. I think this is the beauty of a mentor, somebody to help you through the road bumps of life, who may be there to uh, act as a sounding board uh, for you, uh, maybe to inspire you, maybe um, more experienced in life. It's one of the most meaningful relationships you can have. And I realize there are some young people here tonight who may be not there, not quite there yet in regards to having a mentor. But can I encourage you to seriously consider that? Because this is exactly what Paul's second letter to Timothy is like. This global kingdom leader is coming to the end of his life. And he's around about um, a thousand kilometers away from um, uh, Timothy, who Timothy is in Ephesus at this particular time. He finds himself in this Roman prison cell. And a Roman prison cell is overcrowded, it's dark, it's damp, it's dreary, there are no windows. I think we've got a picture there. Is it there? Yeah, it's, it's dark, there's no windows, there's no light, and there's definitely no Wi-Fi. Definitely not. And he had nothing in this dark, damp hole except for one thing. He had this relationship with Jesus Christ. And as he sat in the darkness... The circumstances also outside of this dark, damp hole weren't overly encouraging either. And at the time, he was not this world-famous apostle that we certainly know of now. He certainly wasn't appearing in any TV talk shows or signing copies of his latest book, and he didn't have invitations pouring in from around the world for him to speak at certain events. Yet, he was clearly at peace in his life, yet he was facing his imminent death. And as he was going through these things, he had this young man in Timothy on his mind, and he begins to write to remind Timothy, Timothy, that you are made for more. Very good. You are made for more. And just a couple of questions for us here tonight to consider. Do you have a Paul in your life, 
And do you have a Timothy in your life? What I mean by that is this, that I believe that uh, we actually grow more rapidly if we have a Paul in our life, somebody who mentors and speaks life and believes in our lives. But I also believe that every person should be an encourager, pouring themselves into the life of another. Well, we've spent the last couple of months, haven't we, in this series, walking through this book of 2 Timothy and all of all the people, of all the people that Paul chooses to write his final thoughts is this young man, Timothy. You know how he starts this book? He pretty much says, dear son. He says, dear son. What that means is, well, first of all, it's not his biological son. It's not his biological father. But it suggests that this is a good, clear relationship between a mentor and a mentee. Is that right? Yeah. (laughs) Sounds weird, doesn't it? But um, uh, he commends him. So he says, dear son. Then he commends Timothy. What does he commend Timothy for in chapter 1? He commends him for his sincere faith because Paul has done the rounds. He's seen a lot of insincerity to the people in terms of trying to bring around him and to encourage. And so he commends Timothy for his sincere faith and he sees the difference in Timothy. And he says to Timothy to, to hang on to this sincere faith because it's going to set you up well for the rest of your life, forever. And so um, uh, he commends him for these, these things in his life, but then he goes on to coach him, which, which, in which we've been talking about these past few weeks. And he says that you are made for more, Timothy. And so he helps develop certain characteristics and new patterns and disciplines in his life that we've talked about. And that's what coaches do, don't they? That's what coaches do. They call out the best. They believe in the best. And that's what Paul is doing to Timothy. And so tonight we pick it up in the last chapter. And there's only four chapters in chapter four. Tonight we're going to focus on just a couple of verses from uh, chapter four, verse five to eight. And so here's Coach Paul speaking to Timothy. Check this out. But you, Timothy, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering. It's an interesting um, illustration there. Picture, picture. And the time for my departure is near. Here he goes. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. They're my three points for tonight, which we'll come back to. And he says, now, because of these three things... Now, there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, here's Paul, thinking of others, constantly thinking of others. Not only to me, he says, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Can you imagine Timothy just for a moment? He receives this letter and reads this letter. What kind of reaction Timothy would have had simply by reading just these few verses? Well, the whole book, but this, just these few verses. I think it would have been an overwhelming response by Timothy, that emotional response to, to have this kind of torch being handed over to you to carry into the future that Paul's done all he can, and he's about to face his death, and then to be put on Timothy that he had to finish well because Paul had finished well. What had Paul done? He fought the good fight, he'd finished the race, and he had kept 
the faith. An important note here, by the way, before we do go any further, that here he is sitting in this dungeon, and he's not this broken old man at all. There was that sense of peace that he had, that, that he endured so much, which we'll get to just in a moment, what he had endured, but there was this cause there was this cause, this encounter with Jesus on the Damascus Road that Paul had experienced, but there was this cause that now in which he lived for. And because of that, he confident, confidently declares, declares that I fought the good fight, that I've finished the race, and I've kept the, kept the faith. And by the way, he's not implying at all that he didn't make any mistakes and he hadn't faced discouragement along his life journey. He's not implying that at all. Um, but through it all, that he had stayed in the race. Basically, what he's saying is, I've done what God had called me to do. At the end there, I'll just read that verse again in verse 8. If we could have that up there. It says, now, because of these things, there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Here he is looking death in the face. And he tells Timothy, point number one, I have fought the good fight. I have fought the good fight. That's my first point, taking it straight from Scripture. I fought the good fight. What is the first thing you think of when you think of a fight? Don't yell it out, by the way. Just think in your, in your hearts. What, what's the first thing you think, you think of? Maybe something online you've seen in terms of a fight or something on TV, you know, a brawl of something. It's not a nice picture, is it? But Paul describes this fight, um, this verse, in fact, conveys the Christian life, that it's, it's no walk in the park, that I fought the good fight. What he's referring to here is a spiritual battle. He would write to the church in Ephesus and describe this as a spiritual battle, in Ephesians chapter 6, that is, that this is a fight against the forces of evil. That Paul went through, that we know he went through persecution, he went through pain, and he went through suffering. He had, what he describes himself, he had the fight of his life. And so this is a good fight. He describes this as a good fight for the good news. And so Paul's question, I think, to us tonight is this. First of all, he's asking this question. Are you engaged in the fight? Uh, are you engaged? Maybe let's go a little bit further. Are you engaged in the, in the right fight? As Christians, as those of us who follow Jesus, there are so many fights we can battle. Are we, are we engaged, Paul's question to us tonight, in the good fight, in the right fight? Because when you come to the end of your life, will you be able to look back and say, as Paul says and encourages Timothy to fight for your life, that I fought the good fight. I fought the good fight. The cause of Christ on this earth. I fought the good fight. What was the second thing that he says? This is point number two tonight. I've only got three points. I have, what? Finish the race. As you think about that, wouldn't it be better for this point number two to be point number three? I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished the race. You see, you can't finish the race unless you've kept the faith. 
Maybe, maybe that's just my interpretation. What he's referring to here when he says, I have finished the race, sorry, I'm referring, he's referring to a long race. (laughs) You know, sometimes life seems so long, especially when you're young, seems so long. But when you're older, life goes, yeah, come on, older people, help me, I'm seeing some nods. Life goes pretty fast, doesn't it? So sometimes, well, life is long, but life is also short. And so this is a spiritual race. It's not a short sprint. Can I ask a question? Anyone ever run a long race, maybe longer than five kilometers? Anyone? Yeah. So we've got a few of you understand this. In fact, you probably understand Eliad's kind of race. In fact, 42 kilometers, his pace, unbelievable. But anyway, and although I've never ever run a marathon myself, there is no such thing as an easy marathon. <laughs> the Christian life uh, is, in, is filled with incredible joy, but there are also many trials along the way, and that's called life. And sometimes life hurts, doesn't it? Can I tell you a story? It's a personal story. Um, the year was 2015, and uh, I entered my first race since school days, that was. This race was called the Launceston 10. And at the time, I had not been running uh, long distances at all. I was on annual leave at the time, and I remember talking to Karen, my wife, is here tonight. And I said to Karen, I said, "Um, because I'm on annual leave and it's a Sunday race, I'd really like to go and watch the Launceston 10, because I've been doing a little bit of running, just been doing the park runs, just 5Ks. And um, she (laughs) she said, you should go in it. You should go in it. I thought, all right. So with a couple of days to go, I, regist- I registered for my first Launceston 10 race. As I said, I'd only trained shorter distances. And for the runners in the room, you would know that a five-kilometer race is completely different to a 10-kilometer race. I didn't know a lot about nutrition in those days. Of course, I know a lot more. But the first few kilometers of this particular race, I was reasonably comfortable. I was reasonably comfortable. And as I was running, I noticed, to my surprise, in fact, these first few kilometers, there were people pulling out of this race. Um, they'd pulled out, they'd pulled over the side of the road, they were, wait for it, they were throwing up. It wasn't a nice sight at all. And I kind of figured as I was running along, how come they'd pulled out? Well, maybe they'd run too fast, yeah, too quick. And for the runners in the room, you would understand what I mean by that. And so they maybe had mixed up their runs because the Launceston 10, a 10-kilometer race, unless you are an informed seasoned runner, is certainly not a sprint. And so they'd run too fast, (laughs) too quick, and they pulled out of the race. Now, a couple of kilometers from the finish line, my lack of longer distance training started catching up to me. As I said, I'd never really run more than five kilometers in that particular time of my life. And so here I get to the seven to eight kilometer mark, and my body was asking me, Steve, what are you doing? (laughs) I don't like you anymore, and would you please stop? And so that was around about the seven kilometer mark of a 10 kilometer run. And I remember thinking, I do remember this, how on earth do people possibly do this? How do people run? 10 kilometers. I remember saying to Karen or I said to somebody that I'm, I'm not a runner. I'm just not a runner. 
However, the story goes on. I've got three kilometers to go. And so with endurance and with determination, thanks, Sam, come on, uh, and with the cheers of the crowd, I wasn't stopping for anything and I wasn't stopping for anyone. And so to this day, I have never forgotten that particular feeling when I crossed that finish line and finished that race. And I have some proof to show you. Now, I know it's a little hard to see. I know it's a little hard to see. Please forgive me. It was from a distance, the shot, et cetera, et cetera. But if you look hard enough, underneath the clock where it says 49.35, there I am, not in the red singlet, but the, to the right of the red singlet. I'm wearing a beanie. I'm wearing gloves. I, it was a freezing cold day, and this guy's wearing a singlet, but I run cold, so it takes me a lot long time to warm up, and this was so new to me, I didn't really know what to wear, and all that kind of stuff, and so I crossed the finish line, under 50 minutes, thanks very much, and uh, I was cooked, and could hardly walk for the next week. <laughs> Let me tell you another story, because don't, races don't always, um, you know, finish well. Um, it was as recent as January 14 this year, I think it was, if that's a Sunday. I was on annual leave and I entered the Cabri Marathon and uh, I was doing my third half marathon. So there's a lot happened since then I won't go into. I was doing my third half marathon, which is 21 kilometres. And I got um, halfway and coming back. It was about, kilometer, about the 12th kilometre um, where my body literally said, you've got to stop, you've really got to stop and walk because you're not going to make it to the finish line. And so this was really embarrassing to tell you the truth because the, uh, the previous year, I did quite a good time uh, and I was really proud of that and I thought, I'm just going to do that again. And look, long story cut short, um, I had to stop and walk um, some of the way and I saw some of my training friends who I knew I was faster than, that they kind of took over, you know, passed me and... Um, one of them was a female, and uh, bless her. And uh, uh, you know what's even worse? Not just that, sorry, that sounds bad. Um, is, pe is people with prams. <laughs> with prams and with dogs. And they, they take over when you, when you run anyway. So not all races go to plan, but I did cross the finish line. It was not pretty. I had muscle spasms like you would not believe. But I hadn't eaten properly. Um, the day before. I'd eaten right the week before. It was the day before where I mucked up my nutrition. Thanks for listening. I feel better. <sighs> where was I? Paul's question. Paul's question. Paul's question to us tonight is, are you still in the race? What he means by that, are you pacing yourself? Will you be in it towards the end? How's your nu nutrition going? Um, are you training, you know, the 20 minutes in the chair that we talk about? You see, what's interesting, isn't it, as we watch the Olympics, we know the names of the sprinters, but we don't necessarily know the names of the marathon runners. Carl Lewis, yeah, give me a nod. Come on, some of you older people. Ben Johnson, Canadian, yeah, okay. He uh, got banned, blah, blah, blah. We know the sprinters. Uh, Usain Okay, we all know that name. We know the names of the sprinters, but we don't necessarily know the name of the marathoners. And what Paul is more concerned about are people speaking to Timothy and you and I tonight, people who are steadfast, people who are consistent, people who show up, show up, show up in spite of what's happening in your race. And he's interested in people who finish the race. My question, well, Paul's question is, are you still in the race? Will you finish strong? Will you finish the race? Because this is what Paul is telling Timothy. Don't just be someone who has a short sprint and conk out over on the side of the race, but finish your race. Just three quick things. How do we keep focus in the race? Okay, How do we keep focus in the race? First of all, faithfully participate in church life. 
What I mean by that is this, is to attend Sunday gatherings regularly. Show up to your connect groups. Worship, not just of a Sunday. I was worshiping on my own last night to worship music just before bedtime. Um, Become a hope partner. Run away from your sin. Be in the word. Be in prayer and be in community. Keep focus in your race. 20 minutes, read your Bible and apply that what it's saying to your life. Because this is what a mentor does. Challenges you. Invites us into community. How do we keep focus? We um, faithfully participate in church life. Secondly, we refuse distractions. We refuse distractions. What I mean by that is this. The greatest distraction in our world today, even though it's a blessing, it's a wonderful thing, but it comes with a warning. It's wonderful, but it carries a warning. And it can be a huge distraction. Certainly certain apps that are involved in these kind of things and certain things that we open up, uh, private sin, um, TV, Netflix, these can all be distraction. And we put so many hours into rubbish coming into our lives that we forget the goodness. We forget what we are to read, to grow our inner person, to build our inner person up. You know the number one rule in a race is? For a coach, coach would say this to us tonight, is to never, ever look behind you when you are running. You will never see me when I'm out running, um, except for maybe a park run. But when I'm in a proper race, when I'm in a proper race, you will never see me look behind. Maybe just a quick look to see, just a quick look around the shoulder, but very rarely would you ever see me look fully behind. You know what fully behind does? It slows you down. Um, and so it slows you down and so it allows you to see the opponent's race, uh, pace, but once you look behind you, it slows you down and gives them an opportunity to catch up. And we're too focused looking through the rear vision mirror when we've got this huge screen of life in front of us. Focus on the finish line and refuse distractions. The third and final thing is to focus on heaven. How to keep focus, to focus on heaven, to focus to imagine the end, to be eternally uh, minded, to look ahead and see where we're going and how we're going to get there because you can't finish well unless you plan well. And God has given us all we need to run this race. And when you start to focus in on heaven, what you will find is that the problems in which you and I have in this life aren't going to seem so big anymore because this is what you realize that we're on this earth for such a short time that your problems are so temporary that there will be no more suffering, no more pain, the Bible says, and no more tears in the presence of God in eternity where there's joy, there's peace, and there is paradise. Paul says to Timothy, I have fought the, fought the fight, yeah? Fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have, what? Third one is kept the faith, kept the faith. And what Paul means by this when he says, I've kept the faith, is that he means he has carefully guarded the truth about Jesus and who Jesus was and what Jesus came to do, that I've kept that faith, what God has entrusted to him. His life and his teachings held to sound doctrine. That's what keeping the faith means. And so once again, we, we find Timothy, um, Paul telling Timothy that he fought the right battles, first of all, that he hadn't dropped out of the race, and that he had guarded the truth, and he had kept the faith. But this is where he gets personal. In this last bit of the letter, in verse 9 to 10, he says this. Timothy, do your best 
to come to me quickly. What he's saying is this, I want to see you. I want to see you. And so these next few verses, I'll read those just in a moment. He talks about people who, in fact, deserted him. Those who did not finish the race. Those who didn't come to see him. Those who maybe were ashamed of his beliefs, ashamed of him in this hole, in this dungeon. And he goes on and says, was it up there? Oh, keep going, please. Thank you. Here we go. So, do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. And this is where the book pretty much ends, which leads us to a couple of questions, doesn't it? First of all, what happened to Paul? And what happened to Timothy? (laughs) And by the way, scholars have been kind of, uh, well, not arguing, debating about um, these couple of questions forever. But there's a couple of things we do know. First of all, we do know this, that Paul does die in Rome, and Timothy does go and see Paul, Hebrews 13, 23, which I won't go into at the moment. But scholars believe this, that Timothy was there to watch Paul's execution but then finds himself getting imprisoned in Rome, possibly, can you believe this, possibly, even in the same cell that Paul wrote this letter to Timothy. Can you believe that? (coughs) And so here in the end, he gets released from prison and uh, Timothy becomes the bishop, can you believe that, of Ephesus. And so he ends up dying in this city that he loves being true to what Paul had wanted, wanted for him, that he fought the good fight, that he had finished the race, and that he had kept the faith. Can you imagine in heaven, Paul's running towards Timothy saying, you did it, you did it, you fought the good fight, you finished the race, you kept the faith, here's your crown of righteousness, let me introduce you, push Peter aside, let me introduce you to Jesus. Can you imagine that? You did it. I think that's Paul's prayer to us here tonight, to not quit, to keep going, and to keep the faith, because he would speak over us tonight that you were made for more. And as your pastor, I want you to know here tonight that I'm cheering you on. I'm your biggest cheerleader, and I know the people around you and next to you are also cheering you on in this incredible race that we are in. And my prayer for each of you here tonight is that not that you would be sprinters, but that you would be marathoners of going deep with Jesus, recognizing just like Paul did with Timothy, that you are truly made for more. Let me finish with a story, and I'm done. The year was 1992. This is not a personal story. It was the 1992 Summer Olympics. It was held in... Barcelona. The event was the 400-meter race. The man favored to win was the man by the name of Derek Redmond. He's from Great Britain. Everybody thought that he was going to win. Before the race, he did his normal warm-ups. He was pumped. He went to the starting line and was set. 
The gun went off. The race begins. He starts well when all of a sudden, during the race, something happened that changed the race. Derek tears his hamstring. The pain in which he must have felt in this particular instance As he felt the pain, he started to hobble along the track until he fell once again to the ground. There was no possible way for this man to finish the race. Instead of me telling you what happens, let me show you. 